welcome to Thinker Talk, where we chat with thinkers who are turning ideas into reality. I'm Joey Caffone, co-founder of Baron Fig, recording in New York City. Today, we're here with Lauren Hom, a designer and letterer based in Detroit. We're going to talk about the freelance life, traveling around the world with such amazing personal projects. So Lauren, thank you so much for coming on Eureka. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me, Joey. I, I have every time I write a list of questions and sometimes it's really easy to know where to start with you. I'm like, oh my God, what do I do first? So <laughs> I think I'm just going to start with daily dishonesty, I think, because that was like, it's like a, a turning point for you, right? Oh yeah, that was that was the accidental game changer for me. <laughs> okay, so t- tell me about that. What happened? How did you start it? Yeah, I mean, this is when you and I were uh, still classmates, actually. It was the very beginning of senior year. I was a fourth-year student at SVA in New York, the School of Visual Arts, and I was an advertising major, but I had uh, like a funny drunk night with a girlfriend, and we realized that we kind of compulsively lied about little little white lies, like nothing, nothing serious. You know, things like uh, calories don't count on the weekend, or I'm only having one drink tonight, or you know, I'll I'll do I'll finish my homework in the morning before class. Just things that you know were were harmless in a way, but also I guess relatable enough to poke fun at. And I realized that my girlfriends and I all had you know this kind of circle of little like white lies that we told ourselves. So I. I had previously taken one type class uh, before this project, and I was—I had dabbled. It was never really a thing I thought could be a career. Um, so I started a Tumblr blog, as any 21-year-old would, um, and it was just this collection of little white lies that I would ha- use to practice my hand lettering. And I posted a couple on Tumblr, and lo and behold, uh, the internet somehow took hold of them, and I started building this audience. It was you know, a thousand people in the first like week or two. And that was way more than I thought it was going to be because it was really just a project for me and my friends to have a laugh. I continued this project for, oh my gosh, I want to say two or three years. But the kind of cool thing is I actually went back in my email and I didn't realize how fast the timeline was. But October 2012 was the start of Daily Dishonesty. A month into the project on my 22nd birthday was when I got an email uh, from a literary agent in New York, and she had reached out and said, hey, I saw some of your images on Pinterest, which led me to your blog. I think that this has publishing potential. They're so cute and funny and smart. Being 22 and having no experience speaking to any kind of, you know, anyone in publishing, my first thought was, this is definitely a scam. Like, there's, there's no way. There's no way this is real. This woman just wants my money. But I got on the phone with her just to give it the benefit of the doubt. And it turned out to be legit. And over the next six months, uh, she worked with me to uh, promote the blog and keep growing the audience and work with me to kind of get the kind of press that an editor would like to see when it comes to publishing a blog into a book. And the week that I walked across the stage when we got our diplomas from SVA, I was also signing a, a book deal for Daily Dishonesty. And I couldn't believe it because it was just a joke uh, that it really stemmed just from a fun personal place, really no intentions, no expectations. And that's what happened. And I just, I couldn't believe it. So that got my work circulating around the internet, got me a bunch of press. I started getting freelance work and it was a weird time because at the same time, I had just graduated with this, you know, four-year like BFA in advertising. 
thinking I was going to go be an art director at a big agency. And uh, to spare my parents the heartache of having an, a recently uh, graduated but unemployed child, I still got a full-time job, which right. I'm not doing currently. So I guess you can guess how things panned out. I think like there's, there's you got to give yourself so much credit, not only to start it and just do something, but then to recognize that this thing, while unexpected, totally unplanned, is an opportunity and to then go after it and and roll with it, basically. Yeah, thank you. Do you, you know what I mean? I think a lot of people sort of have a plan and then may, whilst focusing so hard on a plan, could miss when something comes up that could be like such a good opportunity like that. Oh, 100%. For me, it, it was hard to let go of the plan because I grew up in a pretty like traditional family, like both parents had worked full time and then my mom stayed home with the kids and just like I, my expectations for myself were to go to college get a full-time job, uh, be a creative director at an advertising agency within like five or six years, and then just do that for the rest of my life. I really didn't see anything else happening outside of my like current group of friends or family. So, you know, I think that you model what you want for your career after what you see around you, which is why I will say going to New York and going to art school was really helpful, at least to broaden some of that. But I would say that SVA still very much geared us up for full-time employment, which wasn't a bad thing because that's what I think most of us wanted. But now with, I think, the rise of freelance and I had just started to see people like Jessica Hish and John Contino and Dana Tanamachi who were doing like heavily type-based work as their full-time freelance like gig. And so that I think gave me like a glimmer of hope. But again, I was 22 and when none of your friends are freelancing or taking any big risks or it, it just seems it's, it, it did feel very risky. And I always tell people like, I am still, I would say that to this day, I feel like I'm still a very risk averse person, but I am an, a very like, I'd say emotionally and like heart driven person. So when something feels off or something doesn't feel right, I, I am really intuitive when it comes to that. And I tend to make decisions based on how I feel rather than like facts or plans or and that's just my style. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. There's there's a certain amount of gut that you got to trust. This totally reminds me of, um, I was reading a story about a dude who was walking through the forest and he had this like sudden immense sense of dread that he couldn't shake. And he was looking all around. I think he was on a hike or something. He's looking all around. He's like, what the hell's going on? Uh, And long story short, he decided to just head back home instead of going deeper. And he went back the next day and he saw... Uh, mountain lion tracks that were just outside of where he was walking. There's more going on, I guess, for us as human beings than what we can like be conscious of, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? So there's, there is a portion of the gut that needs to be trusted, even when you can't necessarily like say, this is the reason why I'm doing this. That's just a feeling. Yes. And I think, you know, I've, I've met lots of different like entrepreneurs who some are more like logic and fact and like plan driven. Some are more like intuitive and either way works. Um, I just find that I'm way more intuitive. And that also allows me to, I don't know, like ease up a little bit with my business because I, I do trust myself and I do trust my gut and any like my dad. One thing that he's always said to me that has always really made me feel good is even when I left my job, even when I decided to go travel, things that are seemingly risky to, you know, a 50-year-old parent who has lived in the same city their whole life. And again, it's everything's relative. But 
he mm. he's always told me he, he says whatever you do like i trust that you know what's best for you you've never made a bad decision and you know i guess i would put the word bad in quotes cuz even if you know getting a full-time job and quitting after 9 months for me cuz it was the wrong job was a quote unquote bad decision it wasn't because i think everything is just you know a stepping stone to the next thing and so when he told me that i was it made me feel really good because it also taught me to trust myself and know that i can't necessarily make a bad decision i'm just making a decision that is right for me in that moment right. and even if the decision turns out not to be the best it's still something to learn from and it shouldn't like prevent you from doing you know risky or making decisions into the unknown in the future you know some work some don't yeah the unknown is the scariest because there's just no way to like dip your toe in it you just kind of have to go into it and it's interesting though cuz even before i left my full-time job i had read so many stories of business owners and entrepreneurs and freelancers who just made the jump and stumbled along the way but were better for it and learned more and were successful and were happier in the long run and even if you hear a hundred of those stories yeah. i think our brains have a tendency to tell us like no you're going to be like the outlier the one of a one of a thousand who doesn't make it yeah it's always <laughs> like a tendency to be safe yeah actually when i was at sva i started freelancing i i had a job offer like uh right before we graduated and I turned it down and then everybody in my family was flipping out and they were like, you need to take this. You know, jobs are rare. This is a great salary. And I was like, ah, I think I'm going to freelance. And they were like, what the hell are you doing? So then I freelanced and within, I think, seven or eight months, I had more clients than I could handle and all that good stuff. And it's so, it's so messed up. And then I told my family, I think I'm going to stop freelancing and start a company. And then again, they're like, no, you have to freelance. This is amazing. Why would you stop? And so like I taught that experience taught me that people, you know, oftentimes can only see what's right in front of their nose. That's also true. That's especially from a like familial point. Um, when I told my parents I was going to go freelance, of course they were worried because I think to our uh, you know, parents generation freelance is synonymous with unemployed because there's no one, you know, giving you the steady paycheck, but that's not true. I, I think that I know now, um, and I did have an inkling too, even before I went freelance, that you could like make really good money and have your own schedule and do your own thing. It just took a different approach and took a little bit more uh, resilience and grit. It's just, I always tell people that freelance isn't necessarily easier or harder. It really depends on what your values are and what you are craving. If you want stability and you are super risk averse and any dip in income just like shakes you to the core, freelance probably isn't the right thing. I think it's all about finding the the career that matches your personality and your current wants and needs. Um, but yes, like I think I think that our like my dad too. He's he and I have talked about this a lot, but. He had turned to me one time, we were just talking about work, and he was like, you know, it, it puzzles me that your generation like demands happiness from your work because that was not something that we were taught as kids. It was like a job was to feed your family. And for us, it's like find the job that feeds your soul, which is a whole like a whole new set of worries and and you know, like thoughts for us. But ultimately, uh, I found that it's the best, mm -hmm. you know best way to follow. I always teach like uh, my students and in talks, I always say like, find your North Star and, you know, find the thing or know yourself really, really well and figure out 
what you want. And I think knowing what you want is the first step to pointing yourself and taking action in the right direction. So it does take a little bit of you know, introspection and thinking and just being in touch with what you want, not what your family wants, not what your friends want, not what society says you should have. And just going into that abyss, like without abandon, because, uh, you know, the internet is a big place now and it's really opened up a lot of avenues for designers and creatives and entrepreneurs that you can really carve out a nice little, like weird little nook for yourself and make a good living. For sure. For sure. I feel like the answers are all, we are sort of raised to look for answers outside of ourselves. But as we get older, the answer, the, the important answers are within. Absolutely. Um, and I wish there was a way to teach people to trust themselves more. I, I haven't quite figured out, you know, other than trial and error, like you, you do one little thing and it turns out okay. You do another little thing, it turns out okay. And then you slowly build trust with yourself. It's interesting because have you ever heard that like old phrase, like fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me? Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like that. We, I was always taught to give people the benefit of the doubt until they prove you like wrong. And then it's, you know, your responsibility if you trust them again. With ourselves, I feel like we never give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and we have to earn our trust like for, from ourselves from day one. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. And the other, other side of the coin is you know, we we always tell people like you're not going to get it right the first time, right? But then when we do something, we want it right the first time, and we get pissed. Oh, damn! I didn't do it. I feel so I'm to get down on myself. And it's like, what the hell? There's so much like cognitive dissonance there between what you're saying to people and what you think is logical versus what you're applying to yourself. A hundred percent. Like I feel like this conversation is already like spurring so many ideas in me. Like I had been thinking about this for a while, but I, I totally agree. Like it's so much easier to dish it out than to take your own advice. And I sometimes have to remind myself that, you know, especially cause I'm teaching now and I don't know if you feel the same way since you started teaching, but when you're actively teaching and like shaping other people's minds and creativity and helping them feel more confident and, you know, helping them progress in their careers and you're not taking your own advice, it's much more like in your face. And every week I have to be like, wait, didn't I just tell someone to not do that or to not worry about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So for our listeners, before we move on, I want to, I want everybody to uh, check out dailydishonesty.com. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, throw down some props here for you. I'm, I'm on your website and it says you've made work for clients like Starbucks, Google, AT&T, YouTube, and Time Magazine, among others. That is super cool. I've always wanted to do like, you know, just one time I would like to do an illustration or something for the New York Times, just, just to have that done. I think depending on what we grew up with or like what we like to read, everyone's got like that little like dream client list just for like personal satisfaction. Um, I could totally see you doing something for the New York times. <laughs> Your list goes on and on too. I can't, I can't even, I can't even, man, this is too cool. So I want to yes. jump to freelance. So with freelancing, that's, that's what you're doing these days, right? Yes. I, well, my business model has actually shifted a tiny bit. Um, I'd say that freelance is what occupies the majority of my time, but my, say my income is split between freelance and workshops and uh, online classes right now. I've been trying to diversify, getting kind of entrepreneurial. <laughs> so before we d- dive into the diversification of your business model, let's say, um, you went around the world and worked at the same time. What was that like? 
Oh, yeah. Um, I So at the beginning of 2016, I left for a 12-month, what I thought was going to be a 12-month trip. Um, I had been working from home in New York for about two years at that point, and I kind of had this realization that I wanted to travel, but you know, work was kind of my my core and I didn't want to miss any opportunities. But after two years of working from home, I realized that my living room and like my internet connection and laptop, that could be replicated pretty much anywhere. And as long as I could manage the time zones, my clients weren't requesting a ton of phone calls or in-person meetings. Um, so I decided to sign up for this program called Remote Year. I, I'm sure you've gotten an ad or two for it before. Uh, it's like a group travel program that takes professionals. They do all the programming, so you don't have to really worry about it. They plan your travel and accommodations. And uh, I did that for about six months, but then I ended up leaving because it was too big of a group, I'd say. It was 75 people who I'd say like 65% of them just wanted to party, which is if I was going around the world too, I would want to party. But Maybe when I was like 22, I was like, I was hoping for a, a bit of a more professional oriented group. And granted, I will give them credit. I was this, I was part of the second group they had ever launched. So it was still very much like a beta test, I would say. Uh, but I was still, right. after I left that, I still traveled and it was exactly what I thought. I, I could replicate, you know, the work at home process from around the world. It just did add a layer of complexity because you're in a new place. And one thing that I struggled with was, if I was working a lot, I would feel like I was missing out on the travel part. And then when I was not working a lot, let's say just not a lot of client work was coming in, I would feel bad about not working enough because my like, you know, deep seated New Yorker, like, you know, fear of like not being productive or making enough money would just kind of right. seep to the surface. So I struggled with that. But uh, my work life balance was pretty much what I was doing in New York, just from abroad. And it was it was really cool to know that I could work that way. I did end up moving back to the States after the 18 months to have a home base again, just because I think it was one of those things like just because you can travel and work doesn't mean it's the most sustainable. And th just for me personally, I know plenty of people who um, think it's like a long-term thing. And depending on what you do, that can be great. I think because I don't exclusively work from my laptop and I want, you know, paints and drawing supplies and couple more like physical things that having a studio yeah. space is really helpful. Yeah. But what I do like about, I think what helped me come home was realizing that if I can set up my life, you know, in a similar way where I can leave when I want to and travel when I want to still, I still have that autonomy. Having a home base feels fine to me. I'm not locked into any specific place. Um, and I can still pack up if I needed like a month of, you know, inspiration or like a break, just a breather. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool. That's something that I I kind of miss having the ability to do is, mm -hmm. you know, with Baron Fig and I would never trade this out for the world. But um it, it would be cool to pick it's up and go work somewhere else. I will say like in, like knowing you and then like coming into your office space and I I think it's a grass is greener kind of thing because when I whenever I walk into your office and see your employees and just like the way you've set it up and the inventory and all this good stuff, I like I'm like, oh wait, this is cool. Like I want to start a company now because it looks it looks really cool. The same way from the outside looking in, like what I do and having complete freedom looks really cool. I think I realize that if I'm home for too long, I'll probably start, you know, romanticizing travel. And if I'm traveling for too long, I'll start romanticizing like having the same bed to sleep in every night.
Yeah, there's there's something to the grass is greener. I uh me and Adam have like a philosophy I guess on that. And it's it's about winning in you know not that winning is everything. It's certainly not. Being happy is number 1. <laughs> but I think winning is not necessarily just being better than the competition, but it's just outlasting the competition. Like it's just sticking to it longer than the rest of the people, you know? And part of that is having to overcome the grass is greener syndrome, I guess, where, you know, you start to get too used to the thing you're doing. You know, it doesn't become new and fresh. And then there are ways to, um, I guess, you know, invigorated. It must be a lot like being married for 20 years or something. I mean, neither one of us are there yet, but it's got to be difficult. I mean, I, I do agree. It's it's totally like that. And I think that's why choosing something that you're genuinely interested in and passionate about is the thing that's going to carry you through those rough spots and through, you know, the times where you don't feel as inspired or it's getting kind of I guess, like day in, day out. And again, like like you said, invigorating your current situation, that again is in your, it's in your hands. And that's why I do a lot of passion projects because I love lettering. And, but I did have this realization about, I think a year or two into doing lettering full time. Cause the first year I was just so jazzed to be getting paid to letter. I was just beside myself because I just didn't think that anyone would pay me. And when I first started out, like I had dabbled in freelance in college, but it was you know, for brands that no one had ever heard of, but you'd add it to your client list anyways to make it look legit and you slowly kind of swap out cooler clients. You you know how it goes. Daily Dishonesty just, you know, like came out swinging for me and I was booking, yeah, work with like Starbucks and YouTube and uh, LA Magazine and Time Magazine and I just couldn't believe it, Um, which honestly gave my portfolio and my about page this huge boost of credibility very fast because those are clients that I didn't think I'd have on my list for a very, very long time. I was getting paid to do lettering uh, for these big brands. But after about a year, I realized that I think what I loved about the like accident or the happy accident of Daily Dishonesty was I was writing my own content and lettering my own content. So all of it felt very, very like directed by me, styled by me. It was completely my like baby. Because I'm a advertising girl, I don't like the art doesn't necessarily do it for me, which is kind of the opposite of of some designers who are way more aesthetic based. I, I appreciate good aesthetics, of course, but for me, like the concept and the idea is like weighs so much heavier, and that's where I get my thrills. So, like I said, like that North Star thing. I love clever, creative concepts coupled with you know, beautiful, interesting graphics. But if there's something that I want to explore or I feel like, you know, painting on glass or I want to start, you know, cooking or I want to start sculpting or something and I'm not getting those, that's not being fulfilled by my client work, I will nine out of 10 times just start something on my own. And I like to package it up as a passion project as opposed to just kind of these one-off little pieces that I'll throw out on Instagram or my blog because I think it's because I have an ad background and I like campaigns and I like things that are well thought through. And I think it shows, yeah, it shows a level of attention to detail and your ability to curate something and uh, design a whole system that has actually worked really well for me in my career because I was just thinking about it the other day. It proves to a client, um, especially if you're trying to be a freelance designer or letterer for like advertising or any kind of commercial work, 
it proves that you can execute a series of work under the same idea, which is an ad campaign, basically. It sounds a little intense when I tell people that the way that I get work is that I work more, but I genuinely love what I do. And I think that you do too. So the work, while even like anyone who works a 12-hour day is going to be tired, but you're going to be infinitely less drained if you loved most of those 12 hours and felt like alive. I, I forget. I've mentioned this to someone and they go, dude, why do you work so much? And I was like, dude, I don't ever work because it doesn't feel like work at all. Like I, I go there because I want to. I mean, geez, I, I've so far, knock on wood too, I've created, you know, this direction and hopefully it's where I want to be. Otherwise, I'm I'm crazy. Well, I think, you know, again, listen, listening to your gut, it I think it is where you want to be because I... We've known each other for a long time and I know you're a smart guy and you you know what you want. And I don't think you would be able to get yourself to the office that early and stay that late if you didn't actually like in your like deep down in your heart want to do that. I think that our actions tend to follow suit with what how we actually feel on the inside. And you know, your your brain and the thoughts and like words that come out of your mouth are one thing, but then your body is the second telltale sign of is that really what you want? Is that the direction you want to go in? And if you have a hard time getting up in the morning for something, or if you're dragging your feet to do something, it is a good indicator too that you know maybe that's not not the thing. But also, I understand that there is the flip side of that where some things just have to get done. I think that you do it because you want to, and I think human beings like like a sense of purpose and a, and like to have something to show up for. It it really helps to keep you going. It's it's really motivating to know that like I want to be here and people are relying on me and this is my purpose in the world to provide like this. Um, that's been helpful for me whenever I feel, I guess, unmotivated or unsure of myself. Uh, you know, having an audience that I've built who I wouldn't say relies on me, but who, you know, I know I can help them and I know I can make them feel more creative and confident and to me, like that's the biggest driving factor, I guess, in my work right now. Yeah, you bring some kind of positivity and inspiration to people, and that's it's it's so important. And it, even if yeah, it's not like this critical thing to existence, it it can be a critical thing to happiness to see other people doing what you're doing to be inspired and all that. Absolutely, because I think I think it's like I was saying with like Jessica Hish and John Contino, seeing somebody doing the thing that you love or doing the thing that you want to do is kind of the first baby step into believing. It's like seeing is believing. Yeah. Like the first step into being like, wait, if they can do it, why couldn't I? And that's really been helpful for me to see other people who have kind of like blazed the path um, and done their own thing. And, you know, it helped me realize too, especially at 2022, like you don't have to work a nine to five forever. If you don't want to, there are other options. And, I think, yeah, it's sometimes the first step, the first step to doing what we, to allowing ourselves to like follow our dreams and doing the thing we want to do is, it sounds a little crunchy, but like someone else giving you permission to do so, whether by actions or by words, just knowing that someone else says like, it's okay, you can try, you can fail, um, you can do it. Like, it's not that scary. Like I've done it. Like, look at me. Um, that's insanely helpful. Um, I found. So Lauren, we, again, I always make these lists in preparation and I never, I, I think I have two questions that are under the, no, the two questions are under the asked category and there's about 15 that I didn't ask, which is fine. But for anyone who wants to 
be a letter or a designer? Do you have any specific uh, piece of advice you could give? I think that my best advice for somebody who wants to start lettering or uh, doing design work freelance and go out and do their own thing is to, again, kind of like we talked about in this episode, believe in yourself and like share your work. I think that I, what I see in my students a lot and what I, what I saw in myself um, like way early on was this kind of like resistance to sharing work unless it was exactly what you wanted it to look like. And the truth is when you're just starting out, your work isn't going to look like the, you know, 500 artists you follow on Instagram because they're five, 10 years down the road. And one kind of mentality that I adopted was that I'm, this is the best that I can do right now. And in a year, I'm going to look back on this and hopefully, hopefully like not like it because I got better. And again, like you can't be an overnight success. You can't be amazing. Like after 12 hours of practice, it really is a lifetime of practice to get to where you want to be. And even, I would even say like talking to artists uh, who have been in the game as long as me or even longer, no one's really that happy with their work. I think it's just like creatives by nature are very self-critical. So one thing that helped me, um, like I told the story of daily dishonesty, because I wasn't trying to be a hand letterer, that wasn't my goal. I was trying to be an art director. I had no inhibitions about posting subpar lettering work because it didn't matter as much to me. So I think with that in mind, another piece of advice that I've been giving is don't necessarily like, it's good to know what you want and what's important to you, but don't necessarily lock yourself into one specific goal. Like I have to be a letterer. I have to be the next Jessica Hish or the next like John Contino or the next Lauren Hom or the next Joey Cafone. I wish someone had told me that things can always change, that things probably will not go the way that you wanted them to go. And the more you relinquish that control, actually, the more like beautiful things can happen. Um, so for me, yeah, not putting that pressure on myself to be perfect with lettering allowed me to publish this like immense volume of work that was the thing that kickstarted my career. So even if it's not perfect or the best, the pros of sharing your work greatly outweigh the cons because the first step to getting somewhere is like actually taking the step and laying down the track and the brick to go in that direction. Um, I find that so many people get stuck in their own heads, which leads to, they worry about posting their work so they don't post their work and then nothing ever happens. So I think you would probably agree with this is starting somewhere is better than not starting at all. Yeah, totally. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on. Um, that's a wrap for today's Thinker Talk. You can learn more about Eureka via eureka.baronfig.com. And Lauren, where can our listeners connect with you? Listeners can find me at uh, instagram.com slash homsweethom or homsweethom.com. Sweet. Everybody out there, thanks for listening. Links are available in our show notes. And remember to subscribe to Eureka if you dig what we're up to. Until next time.